The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do imaginary friends have very real feelings? Now we travel to Dyer Lane, a road in Alberta, California, to take a look at the story of a demonic cult and the day they successfully opened the gateway to hell. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. You guys didn't see my little dance I was doing, but I'm sure you can imagine it. Someone who we don't need to imagine because they actually exist. Let's introduce our one of our Thanksgiving live stream supporters. Give it up for Salih Grokhanen. Woo! Everyone give a round of applause. They're shaking their head. I know I didn't pronounce the name right but Sali you're gonna be our captain our pilot this episode thank you so much for donating during that Thanksgiving live stream if you guys can't support the show financially please just spread the word about the show that helps out so much Sali let's go ahead and toss you a shovel and get out some coal we're gonna hop aboard the carpenter caboose Sali let's go ahead and we are gonna shovel some coal into this engine we are headed all the way out to a little boy's bedroom carpenter caboose we're all sooty getting out we're super dusty we're walking around this kid's room the mom's like i just cleaned that room you weirdos also why are a bunch of adults in my kid's room i get out of here lady this story was posted online by someone known as ktb kitten so we're gonna go ahead and call this dude chuck so when chuck was a little boy when he was about three years old He'd be sleeping in his room, little, little little baby pajamas, little three-year-old pajamas, right, with the footies on it. Has little pictures of Darth Maul or whatever. And he would wake up in the middle of the night, and his room would be, like, lit up. It's like, what? What's going on? I'm trying to get some sleep here, right? I'm a little baby. I need my sleep. And what would happen is he would notice the white blinds in his room on his windows would turn pale green and purple. The whole wall in total, so that's what the white blinds looked like. But his entire wall started to look like someone was projecting an old film on the wall. He goes, it was so authentic to what an old film looked like. He'd even have like the spots, like the cigarette burns in the corner. And it looked like it was just this ratty old film, like some 1970s, some 1970s snuff film. You're watching at Charlie Sheen's house. And he goes, he's looking at it and he'd be watching this old film strip. And then he'd watch a boy walk onto frame. And the boy would look at Chuck and just kind of stare at him. But eventually he would stop staring. Eventually he started to have conversations with Chuck. And this little boy on the film reel that was being projected on the wall, he introduced himself as Mark. And Mark said that he was a seven-year-old boy, was being the operative word, because he's no longer alive. And Chuck would be watching this film, and this happened all the time. He'd be watching this film strip 
projected on. And I just so we're clear, there is no real camera in his room. It's not like his mom's like, nighty night. And then he, she puts in this old creepy film. This looks like a projected film, but there's no film anywhere. There's no film camera anywhere. Chuck is talking to Mark and Mark can talk to him as well. And he, he described Mark as having dark hair and he was wearing a long sleeved striped shirt with a collar. Doesn't describe the pants, but I'm assuming Mark was wearing pants. So we'll just put him in brown corduroy pants. And Mark would converse with Chuck. And he said, yeah, I used to be alive just like you, but I died in a car accident. And then the car accident would appear in the movie. So, like, Chuck had actually been able to talk to Mark. <laughs> Chuck's like, oh, please don't bring up the car accident again. Because he would see the cars actually collide. And he would watch Mark die. And he goes, it wasn't gory. It wasn't super violent. But it was it was watching a seven-year-old boy die over and over again. And Mark goes, you know why I'm here. I'm actually your guardian angel. And Chuck and Mark would talk. They'd talk about everything, he said. All sorts of stuff. They would talk to him. And Chuck kind of felt that this boy in the film, this Mark kid was like a big brother to him. I mean, he was older than him. He did have the eternal knowledge of the dead, right? And so he felt like he had this rapport with Mark. And talking to him was so comforting. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say that he, like, told his parents any of this stuff. And if a child was three and was like, Mommy, tonight the dead kid's talking on my wall. I I don't imagine... I, I imagine the parents wouldn't believe them. I'm not a parent myself. I I don't know. I would believe my kids. I believe my kids because I believe in all this ghost stuff, right? I'd be like, okay, we're camping out in your room tonight. I'm all super scared. But he, I, he, they don't mention that he talks to his dad. So anyways, he says that ta- this went on long enough that he like looked forward to it. He found it very comforting. This was someone very important in his life who would appear every night. Or if not every night, super common. But it was very comforting and fun and familiar. These are all words that... Chuck used to describe his conversations. This goes on for years. This goes on for three years, to be precise. And at a certain point, Chuck is now six years old. One night, he's laying in bed, and the blinds turn purplish-green. And the film image appears on the wall, and Mark is standing there and being like, Hey, Chuck, ready for a conversation? Chuck's like, Oh, not tonight. Man, I got got a big map test due tomorrow. One plus one. How am I supposed to know what that is? I'm only six. And Mark's like, come on, buddy. I thought we were going we to play catch. I thought we were going to play catch. He's just throwing the ball at the camera. And Chuck goes, no, no, no. I don't want to talk tonight. I'm just so tired. And he actually rolls over. So now his back is facing the wall. And he's ignoring him. Chuck is totally ignoring Mark. And Mark is continuing to talk. Be like, hey, I thought we were going to hang out tonight. You know, Chuck, are you are you asleep? Are you actually asleep? Chuck, are you? Oh. Guess guess you're really asleep, yeah. And Chuck rolls over and goes, Listen, I'm super, super tired. I was trying to fall asleep, but when you ask someone if they're asleep, it's gonna wake them up. I'm super tired, bro. And to be honest, you're being kind of annoying right now. Just leave me alone. Oh, oh okay, Chuck. That you know, maybe you know, because I pierced the veil of life and death, maybe we could like have a conversation, but uh uh, yeah, I, I I got someone else. I got something else to do. I got. I, I'll, I'll see you later. I'll see you later, Chuck. I'll see you later. 
Mark never returned after that night. He never showed back up at Chuck's house. And Chuck, to this day, to this day, he's 36 years old now. So it's been 30 years since that time that he told Mark to beat it. And he goes, I I feel to this day that I'm missing something in my life. Missing someone in my life. Like, I deeply regret treating him that way. But he never came back. Really interesting. Really, really interesting story. Though, I mean, obviously, this would fall into the ghost lore, right? Someone who died and come back. But the fact that he identifies himself as a guardian angel is very interesting. And the fact that his feelings got hurt is bizarre. I'm assuming... I mean, you can unpack it all sorts of ways, but I'm assuming if you're a guardian angel, you're actually assigned to some to protect someone, whether or not they like you, or whether or not you're a jerk. But who knows? I mean, it's one of those, like, was it, a, was it a ghost? Was it an imaginary friend, right? Was he growing out of that imaginary friend stage? Was it a ghost that took the guise of an imaginary friend of a big brother? I don't know. It's such an interesting story. But as far as what it is, it's hard to define. But it's interesting that it has feelings, Right? We don't really think of that so much, do we, when we talk about the paranormal. We don't really think about it. I've talked before, I'll put the episode in the show notes, but the closet that I'm recording this podcast in is haunted. It's haunted by the spirit of an old man who, and I've talked about this before, I remember when I first moved in, I would see him, not in a physical sense, I would sense him. And he was an old man in his underwear that I had the idea that he had hung himself in the closet. And I remember I was going to sage the place. And I went and I was hanging out with my friend, Alana, and she sold sage at her store. And I bought some sage and I never saged the place. I kept telling myself, oh, I'll sage it later. I'll sage it later, sage it later. And I remember there was the house was getting real creepy. I was seeing some other stuff. And I remember I go, okay, this weekend I'm going to sage the place. Now, if you don't know what saging is, it's smudging. It's where you burn sage and you actually create a protective barrier from stuff getting in your house, and it kind of purifies the things that are already in the house. And I remember I had finally made up my mind after like a year, finally had made up my mind this weekend I'm going to sage the place. Because it's a process, right? It's not just a one-and-done thing. You kind of got to do this stuff. And that night, I was sleeping on my couch. That night I woke up and through like blurry eyes, half asleep, right, for any skeptics out there, half asleep, the old man was now standing in my kitchen, and he, he had, I think he had on a little more than his underwear. I think he was a little more comfortable at this point. But he's standing in the kitchen, and he basically, what I got from him was, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know I was making you that uncomfortable. Like, please don't sage the place. Like, I, I'll, I'll back off. Like, I honestly didn't know I was making you feel that bad. And I never did sage the place. When I woke up, I took that as a, oh, okay, cool, like. That's a truce, right? And it's so, it's so funny because I bought the sage. He didn't appear when I bought the sage. He didn't appear all those other times I was kind of half thinking about it. It was when I actually made the mental decision to do it is when he appeared. And it was like, and I haven't had any issue. He, it's funny because he, the idea of him scared me more than him scaring himself. But now I lock myself in this closet and the only light's coming from the laptop. 
and it is haunted, you'll hear weird noises sometimes. A lot of times I edit them out because it does interfere with the recording process. And sometimes I don't know if it's me squeaking my chair, but there's been episodes where you can hear when I'm talking about certain subjects, you can hear like what sound like footsteps in this very small closet. And sometimes I'll hear stuff coming from the roof when there's no one on the roof and all sorts of stuff. So I assume that he, I know that he's still in here. But anyway, so yeah, I, it's funny because I do think he has feelings. Like he's like, oh man, I don't want to get smudged out. And then this little guy, right? Was he a ghost? Maybe. I, I think it falls more into the ghost uh, category. And maybe he saw himself as a guardian angel. But whatever it was, whatever you want to classify him as, it hurt his feelings that his buddy didn't want to talk to him. It's such a sad story. And we are so careless with our words sometimes, aren't we? Like, we say stuff. Not everyone has the power that I do to edit, right? Not everyone has the ability to talk for a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, and then edit it down so it sounds really, really good and concise, and there's a bunch of stuff gone. That'd be nice if we could do that in real life. Sometimes we say stuff, and it hurts people's feelings, and uh, sometimes they don't want to be our friends anymore, and... Sometimes it's not someone that you can call up, you know, a couple weeks later and be like, hey, man, I'm really sorry I said that, you know, da-da-da-da, let's hug it out. This kid just kind of floated away into the ether did he go visit another kid's house who knows an an interesting story the feelings of the paranormal how they feel is often left undiscussed and so i really really love this story so ktb kitten thanks for sharing it with us and hopefully you do find uh, maybe mark will come back now that we've recorded this, Mark is rising from the grave right now, crawling from the junkyard out of the car he died in, walking towards your house right now with revenge on his mind. <laughs> or or 30 years of conversations he wants to talk to you about. Either or. So, Lee, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind this little boy's bedroom. We are headed all the way out to Dyer Lane. <laughs> As we're headed out there, I wanted to do a really quick Dead Rabbit Recommends, and this one is a weird, not just for the movie-wise, but you're going to have to dig for this movie. You're going to have to dig around for this movie, but it's worth it. I reached out to the director to see if I could find a way to get it to you guys uh, legitly, and I haven't heard back, and I'm not condoning you to go to pirating websites. I'm not linking to any pirating websites. However... Watch watch the movie. It sucks because this movie's really good. You can't buy it. You can't stream it on Amazon or Hulu or anything like that. I'm sure you can find it online if you looked hard enough. It is called There Are Monsters. There Are Monsters. It came out in 2013. And even the trailer, even the trailer is hard to find for it. Because when you type in There Are Monsters 2013, you'll see a bunch of reviews for it. This movie is on the verge of becoming lost media. It really is. And it's actually really good. And I like the setup and I like the story behind it. It's the story of a demonic invasion, alien invasion. They don't really tell you what's going on. But Jay Dahl basically shot like 20 short films with the same actors. Like every weekend or two, they would go out and shoot a scene. And that scene itself would could be just a short film. Each it's set up really, really well. Like he shot it over the course of three years. Parts of it have been released as short films. And it's basically a documentary crew. It's a found footage film. A documentary crew is going around town. They're like interviewing local business people. It's just like this mundane day for this documentary crew. And 
they keep finding themselves in these really, really, really creepy situations. And it's so, the, re, the reason why it's so effective, it's so slice of life. Like one of the segments is, oh, I want to go get a snack from the grocery store. So the whole, that whole scene is you walk into a grocery store and there's no one else in there, but one person behind the counter. And you feel the loneliness. There's a lot of liminal space in this movie. If you're into that, I know that's like the new thing you kids are into, the liminal space horror. And it's like looking down the empty aisles and then you look down an empty aisle and it's where the storage bay is and you see movement. And then you turn back to the cashier and the cashier's acting weird, has some blood on their fingers. It's really, really, really cool. Like, and what's cool is because it's a lot of short films, it can be, it's, it's viewed as one narrative. It's not an anthology. Like, it's one long story. But there's a lot of really cool setups, suspense building, and then that is parts over. And then you move to the next little short film. And the dentist office, the dentist office scene is really, really cool. And you're following with these characters, they're getting super paranoid. And when they run into other people who are like, we're being invaded. Are they telling the truth? They are, actually, because they know. It's really good. Go watch There Are Monsters. You can find it places online, but you can't buy it. It's unavailable. I'm a, I'm thinking they're the company who owns the rights have stopped distributing it for some reason, which sucks. I actually want more people to watch this movie so they will start producing more copies of this. This is something that I think you'll really, really enjoy. Watch There Are Monsters. Dead Rabbit Radio recommends There Are Monsters. And let's get them to start making these DVD again, or very least put it on streaming. Yeah, it's on the verge of just disappearing, though, so really, really is lost the media. I actually saw it years ago and uh, forgot what it was called. I, it took me a while just to find uh, the title, because it's fairly generic, but really, really, really fun horror movie to watch. Okay, Sali, go ahead. I want you to land this carpenter copter on this patch of rural land out of the countryside. That's what I mean when I say rural. We are now at Dyer Lane. Now, I actually have been to this location. I used to do on-the-ground ghost hunting here a lot. This is in Alberta, California. We did a whole episode about Dyer Lane in the past, but it was basically an overview. I was trying to get to the story about how I found a pair of burnt pants and apparently almost slaughtered my friends. They thought I was going to murder them. I'll put that episode in the show notes. It was a lot of fun. Not for my friends who they thought I was going to kill them, but it was a lot of fun. But it's popping back up. Dyer Lane, as much as I spent time out there, I started seeing more and more information about Dyer Lane being haunted. So Dyer Lane is in Alberta, California. It's, it's this road out in the middle of nowhere. It has these hairpin turns. So there are stories of people racing out there and getting in horrible car accidents and dying. And that totally makes sense. I'm sure that's happened. And we did an overview on the Burnt Pants episode, but as a quick review, there's a bunch of stuff. There's stories about the Ku Klux Klan used to hold ceremonies out there. I, that makes sense. If you know the area, that would totally jive with what's going on out there. But the stories were that you could actually see the ghost of the Klan out there. You could see the ghost of their victims when they were lynching black men out there. Horrible, horrible stuff, obviously. And then you have stories of people dying in car accidents because uh, there's no streetlights. Ghost, just general ghost. Apparently, there's a ghost cop out there that'll follow you and then it'll disappear. Get a ghost ticket and have to go to ghost court. And it's interesting because that's that's all stuff that I knew. Those are all stories that I heard when I was out there. But there's actually some more information that's popping out. And let's take a look at this. This is really awesome. Apparently, 
Back in 1857, there was a couple named John and Julie Dyer. They had a ranch, got a couple houses built, and they had a slaughterhouse there as well. And, and I've checked this. Apparently, this part at least is true. There were people named John and Julie Dyer. The legend begins where John was a serial cheat. He was always out in town banging the local girls. And Julie couldn't stand that. Julie was super jealous. She was hating on her husband's game. So instead of just leaving her husband and being like, oh, I can find someone else, she she kills all of her children. It's quite the escalation. She kills all of her children, and then she kills him, and then she kills herself. And actually, I misspoke. She didn't kill all of her children. One of her sons wasn't home at the time. So this other son comes home, the one who wasn't there, and he sees that his mom had killed his entire family and then killed herself, and in a fit of rage, how dare my mom killed the whole family, he burns everything to the ground. He burns down all the homes and the slaughterhouses, and then he shows up and he's like, oh, the police, you won't believe what happened, my mom killed everybody, I burned all the evidence, that was me, but trust me, my mom did it, and apparently the authorities are like, oh, well, murder or suicides do happen, so, generally, they're not followed up by arson by another person, but we'll let you go. I don't know if that part of the story is true. But I will say there was a couple named John and Julie Dyer. So, that was the beginning of the legend of Dyer Lane. Urban legend, possibly. I don't know if that actually happened. I think the police would be super suspect. Back in 1857, the police weren't idiots, right? I know they didn't have DNA, they didn't have all this stuff, but they would be super suspicious. The one survivor of the family destroyed all the evidence and said someone else did it. There's also more recent stories that we know are true, where someone dumped a body. Some dude killed his roommate and dumped her body on Dyer Lane. So we have that stuff. We have it connected to real-life incidents. Apparently there was a huge gang fight between Rio Linda and Encina High. I really hope Encina High won. Rio Linda is a trash heap. Rio Linda, but out of that, apparently there was like a bunch of kids fighting there. Some guy got stabbed to death. I 100% believe that, that story happened. 100% because of the area. But really the most interesting story to come out of Dyer Lane, next to the burnt pants one, next to the story that I was part of, because I'm an egotist, is this one. This story This story is actually way cooler. The Dyer Lane Satanic Cult story. Now, again, when I lived in the area, I had heard about Satanic Cults and witches, covens, and all this stuff out there. But it was always spoken in such general terms. Don't go out there too late at night. You might run into a bunch of people killing a black cat. Don't run out too late at night because they may grab you and try to do some sort of sacrificial thing. But this story I'm about to tell you is really cool just because of the specifics. This is where it stops being something that someone tells you when you're all sitting around getting stoned versus uh, this one might be a little true. The year is 1967. And there's a group that is meeting out on Dyer Lane. There's a group called the Satanic Order of Amducius. In the Satanic Order of Amducius, they worship Amducius. This is an interesting demon. I looked this dude up. He's a unicorn. He's actually a demon that takes the shape of the unicorn. Now, you can request for him to appear as a human, but in true demonic fashion, he can't be truly human. His feet... And his hands are claws. Amducius is the Grand Duke of Genistan, which is a huge region of hell that is also known as the City of the Jinn. 
So we're going to do a whole different episode on that, right? I was looking at that and I was like, okay, that's a story in and of itself. The city of Jinn in hell, and this guy is a part of that. But let's go back to more terrestrial matters. He's the Grand Duke of Jinnistan. And what's interesting is when people summon demons, generally you summon demons who can do things for you. They give you unlimited knowledge. They can give you treasure. They can give you powers during war or love. This guy gives concerts. This guy, when you look at his power level, even though he's a Grand Duke, he doesn't reward humans with anything. This is what he does. When he shows up, he's associated with thunder. And when he shows up, you hear thunder. When you go, Jason, I mean, you could just go and summon him right before a storm, right? And then when the storm rolls in, you're like, we did it. It's correct. But he's also associated with the sound of trumpets playing as he appears. And that's what he does. He shows up and he can give you, he puts, he puts on a little show for you. You don't see the instruments. He just stands there and you hear this music. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't even say if it's good music. It could be really bad. You don't know. It's just music. And his other power, right? So if you don't want to hear music, his other power is he can make trees bend. They bend towards Amducius. Again, not some. I mean, when you are summoning a Dark Lord, treasure or love or war, um, not trees bending. But anyway, so this group, I mean, apparently this guy had a bunch of groupies because the Satanic Order of Amducius is trying to summon him out in Dire Lane. And they would show up on really dark, cloudy nights to summon him. They were doing it over and over again, and they couldn't get the ritual right. So they started sacrificing animals. And they're going out on these dark, cloudy nights trying to summon them. And the thunder may roll in, but they don't hear the trumpets. He doesn't appear. And then they decide, okay, listen, either this is all made up, demons aren't real, or we're doing something wrong, we got the ritual wrong somehow, or what we're sacrificing to him is not worthy of Amducius's time. So they decide to move on to the ultimate sacrifice. A human sacrifice. One of the members of this cult offers up his own sister. A girl named Lynn. And they kidnap her. And drag her out to Dyer Lane. They hold her down on the dry soil. Reeds rustling nearby. Dark clouds overhead. The leader of the cult reveals his ceremonial dagger and holds it up. The followers of Amducius are wearing heavy red robes and they're watching this ceremony with bated breath. This is the time Amducius must appear. The group begins to chant to Amducius as the leader holds that dagger high and then drives it straight into Lynn's chest. The sound of thunder erupts from the sky. Trumpets blare from the heavens. And then the trees begin to bend. The cult members look around. 
all the trees are bending right towards the body of this young dead girl. The ceremony was a success. But Amducius did not appear in a physical form, at least to these reports. But he did arrive. A few of the cult members actually met very mysterious deaths. Violent deaths. One of them in particular was found with his throat slit, sitting on a park bench one night. They say today if you go out to Dyer Lane and you walk through one of the empty fields, you can hear the sound of ghostly chanting. And if you follow these chanting voices, you'll end up in the spot where Lynn lost her life. And then, three deep, painful scratches will just appear on your body. Almost as if a clawed hand reached from beyond and sliced your flesh. All the hallmarks of an urban legend, right? You could easily classify this as an urban legend, and it could be. I was actually only able to find one source of this. It's a guy named Paul Dale Roberts. I'm actually surprised I've never come across this guy before. And he is quite the character. I actually want to cover him more on another episode as well. But he's actually a boots-on-the-ground ghost hunter. He's been doing it for decades. And he has a book called HPI. That's Halo Paranormal Investigations. That's his group. He has a book called HPI's very own Akashic Records, which that's kind of bold. Akashic means collection of all thoughts ever, even non-human thoughts. But HPI's very own Akashic Records is the name of this book. And I got some more stuff coming up about him. But yeah, he's local. He was a Sacramento guy. I'm I'm surprised I've never heard of him before that we never crossed paths when I was doing ghost hunting stuff down there because he's been doing it longer than me. Very, very interesting story, though. So, urban legend, maybe. He's done a lot of investigations. He's done a lot of research on it. He could have been fed a line, right? Somebody could have made the story up and gave it to him. But in the world of the paranormal, we keep an open mind with this stuff. If this story is true, I think I believe the basic parts of it, right? And that is the idea of opening a portal to hell. I do believe that you can do that. I do believe that you can summon demons. I don't think you should. I think it's a very, very bad idea, even if you do want riches and power and love. I think it's a terrible idea. You're basically making with the you're basically making a deal with not the devil, but the devil's assistant. Right? And I think a lot of times when you make a deal with the devil or you make a deal with the demon, what have watched the demons wanna attack me because I'm gonna reveal their secrets. You could do this stuff anyways. Let's say you want to make a deal with the devil to become the most rich and famous actor. You could do that legitimately through other ways, through hard work. But let's say you want to do that, you could use stuff like the law of attraction to get the same thing. The process may take a little bit longer, but you can get the same thing. And I think basically demons, they trick you. They make it sound like you have a deal with them when really it was the universe giving you that. Maybe even God was giving you that. And it was on its way, and you were so impatient you made a deal with the devil, and you sold your soul when you would have gotten it anyways. And so I think that that's part of the trick. And then you think you've sold your soul. Well, you did sell your soul. And I know I've read accounts of people who have sold their soul, legitimately sold their soul. And you have these horrible nightmares, and basically it's these nightmares of God abandoning you, and how you won't he won't even answer you if you pray. And if you pray, things are going to get worse. And it's like talking to someone who you owe money to and how embarrassing 
how embarrassing, how shameful you are. So they basically will not ask God for forgiveness. A lot of people go, well, I'll sell my soul to the devil. And then right before I die, I'll accept Jesus Christ or I'll I'll believe in God. I'll ask for forgiveness and all this stuff. And they don't because it's so weird. Like getting, I think we've talked about this on another episode. I'm trying not to cram it in here, but it's so weird the way deals with the devil's work. And I, I believe that you can do that stuff. I believe that you can open these gateways. The problem is, is imagine this. If I had a virus in a jar and I was walking through downtown Sacramento and I, this is CIA, FBI, this is just an example. I'm not actually going to do this. If I was walking downtown with a virus in a jar and I dropped it on K Street and I kept on walking and I don't warn anyone that I've just dropped this jar full of viruses, other people are going to walk by it. Now, the people are walking on the opposite side of the street. Some people are walking on the opposite side of the city. They don't have to worry about it, really. But the person who's walking over it is going to get the virus. And there would be other than broke other than broken glass and a man running away super fast wearing a gas mask, you'd have no idea what was going on. It's just a place and there's viruses here now. That's the problem with people summoning demons in the middle of nowhere. Cuz that's where you would do it, right? There's a lot of stories about people goofing off and and trying to summon demons in their houses or on their property. They're like, how about that abandoned barn in the backyard? Don't do that either because now you basically lowered the property value. It's haunted. It's not only haunted, it's possessed. So that is why you go out into the middle of nowhere. Obviously, if you're part of this demonic cult, you guys can pool your money together and buy a nice ranch house, right? You guys can get something nice. You don't want to do it there. You don't want to do it in a property because it's not going to leave. So you summon a demon in the middle of nowhere and then you leave and that portal's still open. These demonic time bombs are out there and you're just strolling through the field. But think about national parks where you can do this type of thing, right? Yeah, out in the middle of nowhere, you're opening these portals. Or just regular parks, right? Swing sets, things like that. You go out in the middle of nowhere and you're doing these things and you're opening these portals and demons are coming out of them. And you've now created a demonic landmine that nobody knows about. There might be legends that you've walked by there. Oh, you're going to get scratched, bro. Or not. Right? It took 40, 50 years. I actually, again, I've never heard the story, and I've done boots on the ground investigating here. I have been out in the middle of those fields. That's the creepy part, right? We can identify the haunted house. We can identify the spooky graveyard. But if people who are doing this, and I do believe people do this, and I do believe they are successful, they're creating these places where no man should tread. And yet we do because we don't know any better terrifying terrifying story at the very least right they murdered a girl on a patch of land and you're like let's have a picnic here and you don't even know that happened but at the very most you could be sitting there with your loved ones having a delicious snack eating your sandwich num, 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 and you look over at your girl and she looks at you num, 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 num. you're eating your sandwiches and everything's just it's a beautiful day out right but then it starts to rain a little bit of rain it's time to pack up the picnic you're getting everything at your picnic basket and you're throwing in your blanket and all that stuff. And there's a little, there's some chips on the ground when she's not looking, eat some more chips. Um, num, 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 num. Two minute rule. Um, num, 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 num. And then as you're walking back to the car, you hear a clap of thunder. That's okay, right? You're headed towards your car. You're getting in your car. You're driving away. If you'd been a little more astute, if you really knew what the signs were, maybe you heard the faint sound of trumpets playing along with that thunderstorm. Maybe if you had looked up, you would have seen the trees starting to bend just slightly 
as the first wave of thunder rolled in. And if you really knew what to look for, maybe you would have looked deeply into your girlfriend's eyes before you put the car in reverse and started driving away. You thought you were just having a wonderful picnic with your little lady. Instead, you're now driving back home with a demonically possessed woman in your car. The old her is trapped somewhere deep within her psyche, screaming to be let free from this eternal darkness within her own head. While a demon older than the universe itself is taking up residence in her young flesh. You drive down Dyer Lane, turn on to Watt Avenue, and head home. But really, you're falling headfirst into a world of madness, a world of violence, a world drenched in blood. All because you chose the wrong spot to have a picnic. All because you decided to spend the day on Dyer Lane. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.